Chapter 7 Jesus Wept Jesus Wept John 11.35 A great storm was stirring in the mind of Jesus. We find on looking at the original that he was indignant and troubled. The margin of the revised version has a very literal translation, and instead of reading, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, John 11.33, we find, He was moved with indignation in the spirit and troubled himself. What was this indignation? We cannot think that it was caused by the unbelief of its friends, or even by the pretended sympathy of those malicious Jews who wanted to accuse him to the Pharisees, but we look further and deeper for the reason of this indignation. Jesus now stood face to face with the last enemy, death. He saw what sin had done in destroying life and even in corrupting the fine handiwork of God in the human body. He observed also the part that Satan had in all this, and his indignation was aroused. Yes, his whole nature was stirred. Some read it, he roused himself, instead of reading, as we have it in our version, he was troubled. Certainly there seems to be an active sense in the expression. It wasn't so much that he was troubled as that he troubled himself. The waters of his soul were as clear as crystal, and therefore, when troubled, they were not muddied, but they were stirred up. It could be seen that his holy nature was in a state of unrest, and an inarticulate expression of distress fell from him. Between indignation at the powers of evil, grief for the family who had been bereaved by death, sorrow over those who stood by in unbelief, and a distressing realization of the effects of sin, the Lord's heart was evidently in a great storm. Instead of the thunder of threatening and the lightning of a curse, all that was perceptible of the inward tempest was a shower of tears, for Jesus wept. A hurricane rushed through his spirit. All the forces of his soul were disturbed. He shuddered at the sight that was about to be set before him. He was filled from head to foot with emotion, yet the result of the storm was not a word of terror or a glance of judgment, but simply a blessed shower of tears. Jesus wept. If all our righteous indignation displayed itself in tears of compassion, we would have fulfilled the text, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Ephesians 4.26 Jesus wept. I have often felt annoyed with the man, whoever he was, who chopped up the New Testament into verses. He seems to have let the hatchet drop indiscriminately here and there. But I forgive him of much of his blundering for his wisdom in letting these two words make a verse by themselves. Jesus wept. This is a diamond of the first class, and it cannot have another gem set with it, for it is unique. It is the shortest of verses in words, but where is there a longer one in significance? Add even one word to the verse, and it would be out of place. No, let it stand in solitary sublimity and simplicity. You can even put a note of exclamation after it, and let it stand in capital letters, Jesus wept.
There is infinitely more in these two words than any preacher or student of the Word will ever be able to bring out of them, even though he would apply the microscope of the most attentive consideration. Jesus wept. This is an instructive fact. It is simple yet amazing. It is full of consolation and worthy of our earnest attention. Lord, help us to discover for ourselves the wealth of meaning contained in these two words. We read about other men that they wept. Abraham, when he buried Sarah, wept. Genesis 23, 2. Jacob had power with the angel, for he wept and prevailed. Hosea 12, 4. We read often that David wept. His friend Jonathan and he once wept together and were not less manly because of it, but were the more truly manly for weeping. 1 Samuel 20.41 Of Hezekiah we read that he wept bitterly, 2 Kings 20.3, and of Josiah that he poured forth tears over the sins of Judah, 2 Chronicles 34.27. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet, Jeremiah 9.1. I could continue the list. But if I did, it would not be at all remarkable that the sons of a fallen father would weep. With all the sin and sorrow that surrounds our lives, it's no marvel that it should be said of any man, he wept. The earth brings forth thorns and thistles, and the heart brings forth sorrow and sighing. Is there a man or woman, reading or listening to this, who has not wept? Have we not all sometimes felt a sweet relief in tears? If I could look around at all of you, I could point to you one by one and say, He wept, and he wept, and she wept, and she wept, and no one would wonder that such has been the case. The marvel is that the sinless Son of God would, in the days of his flesh, know the meaning of strong crying and tears. The fact worthy to be noticed and recorded is that Jesus wept. We will meditate on that topic now, and may the Lord make our thoughts profitable. First, I would remind you that Jesus wept because he was truly man. Secondly, Jesus wept because he was not ashamed of his human weakness, but allowed himself to reveal the fact that he was, in this point also, made like his brethren. Hebrews 2.17. Thirdly, Jesus wept, and so he can teach us in this area. Fourthly, he is our comforter. Lastly, he is our example. We can only give a little space to each of these five things. First, Jesus wept because he is truly man. Many facts prove the completeness of the Lord taking up our nature. Not in a dream, or in fiction was Jesus a man, but in reality and truth he became one of us. He was born of a woman, was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and was fed from his mother. He grew as a child, was obedient to his parents, and increased in stature and in wisdom. Luke 2, 51-52. In manhood he worked, he walked, and he became weary. He ate as we do. We find it mentioned that he fasted and that he hungered. After his resurrection, he ate a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. Luke 24, 42. 
to show that his body was real. His human nature was sustained, as ours is, by supplying it with food. Though, on one occasion, sustained by divine power, he fasted forty days and forty nights, yet as man he ordinarily needed food. He drank also, and he gave thanks both for food and drink. Mark 14, 22-23, John 6, 11. We find Jesus sleeping with his head upon a pillow, Mark 4, 38, and resting at the well of Sychar, John 4, 6. He suffered all the innocent infirmities of our nature. He was hungry and disappointed when, early in the morning, he came to a fig tree seeking fruit but found none, Matthew 21, 18-19. He was weary. Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, John 4, 6. We know that he thirsted, for he said to the Samaritan woman, Give me a drink, John 4, 7. And on the cross he cried in burning fever, I am thirsty, John 19, 28. He was made like his brethren in all things, Hebrews 2, 17. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases, Matthew 8, 17. His humanity was our humanity to the full, although without sin. Sin is not essential to humanity, but it is a disease of nature. It is not a feature found in humanity as it came from the Creator's hand. The man of men in whom all true humanity is found in perfection is Christ Jesus. The fact that Jesus wept is a clear proof of this. He wept for he had human friendships. Friendship is natural to man. That person is hardly a man who never had a friend to love. In going through the world, people make many acquaintances, but out of these they only have a few special objects of esteem whom they call friends. If they think they have many friends, they are probably misusing the name. All wise and good men have about them certain people with whom their conversation is more free and in whom their trust is more confident than in all others. Jesus delighted to find rest in the quiet home at Bethany, and we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John 11:5. My brethren, every friendship opens a fresh door for grief, for friends are no more immortal than ourselves. Jesus wept at the grave of his friend, just as you and I have done, and that we will likely do again. Behold your Lord weeping like David for his friend Jonathan, and see how human he is in his friendships. Jesus wept for he was truly human in his sympathies. He didn't just walk around among us and look like a man, but he came into contact with us at a thousand points. Jesus was always in touch with sorrow. Happy are they who are in touch with him. Our Lord saw Mary and Martha weeping, and the Jews weeping who were with her, and he caught the contagion of their grief. Jesus wept. His sympathies were with those who were sorrowing, and for this reason, among others, he was himself a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 3. He loved his Father in heaven, first of all, and his Father's glory was his main object. However, he also intensely loved his chosen, 
and his sympathy with them knew no limit. Scripture, in all their affliction he was afflicted. Isaiah 63, 9. Jesus was far more tender toward humanity than any other man has ever been. He was the great philanthropist. Man is often the cruelest foe of man. There is none more unkind to man than men. Not the elements in their fury, nor wild beasts in their rage, nor diseases in their terror, have made such havoc among men as men drunk with the war spirit. When has there been such cruel hate on the part of the most savage monster toward man as that which has raged in the hearts of bloodthirsty warriors? Our Lord was a perfect stranger to this hate. There was no hardness in His heart. He was love and only love, and through His love He descended into the depths of grief with the beloved ones whose portion was sorrow. He carried out to the full that sacred precept, Weep with those who weep. Romans 12:15. Jesus was no unsuffering seraph. He was not a cherub incapable of grief, but He was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, and therefore Jesus wept. He was a man, dear friends, for He was stirred with human emotions. Every emotion that ever thrilled through your heart, as far as it is not sinful, had a similar emotion in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could be angry. We read in one place that He looked around at them with anger. Mark 3, 5. He could be full of compassion. When was He not? He could be moved with compassion for a tired crowd or moved with scorn toward a scheming ruler. Did He not speak with great indignation of the scribes and Pharisees? Yet was He not as tender as a nurse with a child when comforting the repentant? He would not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. Matthew 12:20 Yet he uttered faithful warnings and clearly and forcefully exposed hypocrisy Our savior at the moment described in our text felt indignation pity love desire and other emotions He who is full of tenderness was stirred from head to foot He was troubled and he troubled himself just as when water is shaken in a small container, so his whole nature was shaken, with a mighty emotion, as he stood at the grave of Lazarus, confronting death and him who had the power of it. Hebrews 2.14 Our Lord proved Himself a man when it was said that Jesus wept. Note, too, that His pure body and sinless soul were originally made as ours are. When his body was formed according to that scripture, a body you have prepared for me, Hebrews 10:5, his body had in it the full ability of grief. He was made with the same ability to cry as we have. Where there is no sin, one would say there should be no sorrow. But in the formation of that blessed body, all the arrangements for the expression of grief were as fully prepared as in the case of any of us. His eyes were made to be fountains of tears, even as ours are. He also had about his soul all the capacity for mental grief. As I said before, so I say again, that it would seem that there would be no tears where there are no transgressions. 
and yet the Saviour's heart was made to hold sorrow, even as an amphora was made for wine. Even more, his heart was made pliant enough to be a reservoir in which great floods of grief could be gathered. See how the sorrow bursts forth in a mighty flood. Notice the record of that flood in these amazing words, Jesus wept. Beloved, have a clear faith in the humanity of Him whom you rightly worship as your Lord and your God. Holding His divinity without doubt, hold His manhood without mistake. Realize the actual manhood of Jesus in all lights. Three times we read that He wept. Undoubtedly, He often sorrowed when He was not seen, but He was seen weeping at least three times. The instance in our text was the weeping of a friend over the grave of a friend. A little further on, after a day of triumph, our Lord beheld the city and wept over it. Luke 19.41 That was the weeping of a prophet concerning judgments that he foresaw. It's not recorded by any evangelist, but we are told in the epistle to the Hebrews that, with loud crying and tears, He made appeal to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared God. Hebrews 5 7. This third record sets forth the weeping of our substitute, a sacrificial weeping, a pouring out of himself as an offering before God. Treasure up in your mind these three memories the weeping of the friend in sympathy with bereavement, the weeping of the judge lamenting the sentence that he had to deliver, and the weeping of the surety as he hurt for us, bearing griefs that were not his own, for sins in which he had no share. Thus, three times it was true that Jesus wept. Now let us see that Jesus wept because he was not ashamed of his human weakness. He could have forced back his tears. Many men do so habitually. I don't doubt that there may be great sorrow, very great sorrow, where there is no open expression of it. In fact, most of you must have felt times when grief has struck you such a stunning blow that you could not weep. You couldn't recover yourself sufficiently to shed tears. Your heart was all on fire with anguish, but your eyes refused the cooling drops. If he had wanted to, the Saviour could undoubtedly have hidden his grief, but he did not choose to do so, for he was never unnatural. As the holy child Jesus, Acts 4.27, he was free from pride, and he wore his heart where people could see it. Remember his speech when he spoke to his disciples? He never hid his poverty. There is an idea held by some people that respectability is maintained by pretending to have more than enough, although you are really in great need. It is thought disreputable to seem to be poor even when you are so. There may be something in the pretense, but our Lord did not pretend like that. He said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8.20. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8.9. And he was never ashamed to let it be known that he was poor. Also, Jesus was despised and forsaken of men, Isaiah 53, 3, and he did not pretend to be unaware of it. 
He didn't try to pretend that he was exceedingly popular and that nobody had anything to say against him, but he acknowledged that they had called the master of the house Beelzebul. Matthew 10.25. He knew what they had called him, and he was not ashamed of being made the target of ridicule and reproach. When they ascribed his miracles to the power of Satan, he met the charges with an overwhelming reply, but he was not ashamed that he was slandered or that he knew poverty. As for his sufferings and death, how frequently do we find him talking to his disciples about it, until Peter would have stopped him if he could. Matthew 16.22. Our Lord spoke of his being betrayed into the hands of sinners, being cruelly treated in hate and spit upon. Matthew 17.22-23. He spoke openly of his being lifted up. John 12.32. He even dwelt upon his coming suffering and death. He had no wish to deny the fate that he knew awaited him. Why not die and say nothing about it, if it must be so? Not so the Saviour. He has become a man, and he is not bothered at that which necessarily follows as a part of his shame and suffering. Being found in appearance as a man, Philippians 2 8, he became obedient to all that was required of his manhood, and before all observers he took his place in the ranks. Jesus wept. Jesus wept on this occasion although it could have been misunderstood and misrepresented. Do you not think that the Jews who stood there would sneeringly say, Look, he weeps! The miracle worker weeps! He calls himself the Son of God, and yet he stands there weeping like any ordinary man. This was opportunity for scorn at his apparent weakness, and even for blasphemy at the evident indication of it. But our Lord did not act upon policy. He allowed his true feeling to be seen. He didn't act like the Stoic who would claim respect for his manhood by holding his emotions within himself and refusing to let people see that he was of similar feelings with them. No, Jesus wept. Tears may not be thought manly, but they are natural to man, and Jesus would not be unnatural. His enemies can say what they please, and even blaspheme both him and his God. But Jesus would not try to be anything other than he really was in the hope of silencing them. He acts the truth only, and weeps as his kind heart leads. He thinks more of Mary and Martha, and the comfort his sympathy would bring them, than of the coarse objections of unbelievers. The loving weakness of his humanity would forge an excuse for itself. Jesus wept, and this reveals his love for Lazarus so much, so that others saw it and cried, See how he loved him. John 11.36. This is one proof that our Lord does not hesitate to declare his love to his people. When he sojourned upon earth, he was not ashamed to find friends among ordinary humans. Now that he is enthroned, our glorious Lord is not ashamed to call us brethren. Hebrews 2.11. He is not ashamed to be written down in the same heavenly record as his poor people. His cheeks were wet with tears, such as those that fall from our eyes, and by those tears everyone knew what manner of love he had toward his chosen. Blessed be his name.
Many great men might be willing to be a friend to a poor man by giving a little money, but not by showing true, tearful love. Yet here the blessed Master, in the midst of the assembled multitude, acknowledges dead and rotting Lazarus as his friend, and he seals the covenant of his love with tears. Jesus wept. He was not ashamed to acknowledge the distress that sin caused to his holy soul, nor the gash that the sight of death made in his heart. He couldn't bear to see the grave and its corruption. May we never think of the sin and misery of the human race without sorrow. I confess that I can never go through this huge city without feeling unhappy. I never pass from end to end of London without feeling a black and dark cloud hanging over my spirit like a cloth over a coffin. How my heart breaks for you, O sinful city of London! Is it not so with you, my brethren? Think of your own city, and its slums, its sins, its poverty, its ungodliness, its drunkenness, its corruption, its wickedness. These may well go through a person's heart like sharp swords. How Jesus would have wept in London! He could not stand in front of a lone grave about to look upon a single corpse without weeping. He saw in that one death the representation of what sin had done on so enormous a scale that it was impossible to compute the devastation, and therefore he wept. What have you not done, O sin? You have slain all these, O death! What a field of blood has Satan made this earth! The Saviour could not stand unmoved in the presence of the destroyer, nor approach the gate of death's palace without deep emotion. He was by no means ashamed of this, and therefore he did not hold back his tears. Jesus wept. Brethren, holy emotion is not a weakness to be ashamed of. If at any time, in the midst of the world's wickedness and amusement, you weep, do not hide those tears. Let those who are thoughtless see that there is at least one person who fears God and trembles when the Holy One is provoked. Jesus wept even though He was about to work a wonderful miracle. The glory of His Godhead did not make Him ashamed of His manhood. It's a strange thing, too, that He would weep just before the joy of raising the dead to life. He is God, for He is about to call Lazarus out of the grave. But he is man, just as much as ever, and therefore he weeps. Our Lord was as much man when he raised the dead as when he worked in the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. He was not ashamed to acknowledge his real manhood while he proved himself to be the resurrection and the life. This day in the glory of heaven, he wears his scars to show that although he is God, he is not ashamed to be recognized as man. He makes this one of his glorious names. I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelation 1 17 18, thereby describing his connection with our manhood in life and in death. Beloved, Jesus wept to show that he did not scorn the feebleness of that nature that he had taken up so that he could redeem it unto God. Remember that our Lord Jesus exercised three years of ministry, and each year was marked by a resurrection. 
he began by raising the little daughter of Jairus, upon whose unmarred countenance death had scarcely set its seal. Then he went on to raise the young man at the gates of Nain, who was being carried out to his burial, dead but not yet corrupt. Now he makes his glory complete by raising Lazarus, who had already been dead four days. Yet when he came to this crowning marvel and thus displayed the perfection of his Godhead, he did not refuse to stand before all people and weep. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, yet Jesus wept. Thirdly, our Lord Jesus is our instructor in weeping. This is the most practical part of our discourse. Be sure that you receive it by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Observe why Jesus wept, and learn a lesson from it. He wept because this was his method of prayer on this occasion. A great miracle was to be worked, and a great power was needed from on high. As man, the Lord Jesus cried to God with intense earnestness, and found the most proper expression for his prayer, in this case, in weeping. No prayer will ever prevail with God more certainly than a liquid petition that, being distilled from the heart, falls from the eye and waters the cheek. God is moved when he hears the voice of your weeping. The angel at Peniel will slip from your dry hands, but moisten them with tears, and you will hold him tight. Before the Lord Jesus put forth the power that raised Lazarus from the grave, he appealed to God with strong crying and tears. The Father appeared for his weeping son, and you, dear friends, if you want to win in prayer, must weep in prayer. Let your soul stir itself up to eager desire and trouble itself to anguish, and then you will prevail. Jesus wept to teach us how to baptize our prayers unto God in a wave of heart grief. Jesus wept before he would awaken the dead, because he would be stirred up himself. A word of his could have worked the miracle. Yes, his mere will would have been enough. But in order to instruct us, he didn't make it so. There was a kind of evil that would not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17:21. And here was a kind of death that would not give up the dead unless the Saviour groaned and wept. Without great exertion of the life of Jesus, the death in Lazarus could not be overcome. Therefore, the Lord stirred up all his strength, gathering all his energy for the struggle on which he entered. Learn from this, my brother, that if you think to do any great good in saving sinners, you must not be half asleep yourself. You must be troubled even to tears. Perhaps the most difficult thing in winning souls is to get ourselves into a proper condition. The dead may bury the dead, Luke 9, 60, but they cannot raise the dead. Until a person's entire soul is moved, he will not move his fellow man. He might possibly succeed with those who are willing to be influenced, but the careless will be unmoved by anyone who is unmoved himself. Tears storm a passage for warnings. If Christ's whole self must be stirred before Lazarus is raised, we must be awakened before we can win a soul. The fingers of decay are unwinding the pleasant fabric that was once worn by the soul of Lazarus, 
and no voice can effectively command them to stop except one, that which sounds forth from a bursting heart. That stench of which Martha spoke can only be turned into the sweet odor of a grateful life by the salt tears of infinite love. It's even more so in our case. We must feel if others are to feel. Come, my dear sister, you who are going to the Sunday school class this week because you must go. You must not go in that spirit. You, my brothers, who are going to preach or talk to your classes and have as yet only one eye open, this will never do. Your Lord was all alive and all sensitive, and you must be the same. How can you expect to see His power exercised on others if you do not feel His emotion in yourselves? You must be awakened into tenderness as He was, or you will not receive His life giving power. Scripture When I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10. Jesus wept when He raised dead Lazarus. Jesus wept in full knowledge of several things that might have prevented His weeping. You have sometimes thought to yourself, when weeping at the grave of a dear child, or wife, or husband, that you have been wrong in so doing. But this might not be the case. Our Saviour wept even though He knew that Lazarus was safe enough. I don't know what happened to the soul of Lazarus. It's not for me to speak where Scripture is silent. However, wherever He was, He was perfectly safe. And yet, Jesus wept. Moreover, Jesus knew that He was going to raise Lazarus to life. His resurrection was close at hand. And yet, Jesus wept. Sometimes we're told that if we really believed that our friends would rise again, and that they are safe and happy now, we should not weep. Why not? Jesus did. There cannot be any mistake by following where Jesus leads the way. Jesus knew that the death of Lazarus was for the glory of God. He had said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. John 11, 4. And yet, he wept. Have we not thought that it must be wrong to weep when you know that the bereavement will glorify God? This is not true, or else Jesus would not have wept under similar circumstances. Learn instruction. Tears that we might otherwise have considered to be prohibited now have free admission into the realm of holiness, since Jesus wept. Sister, you may weep, for Jesus wept. He wept with full knowledge of the happiness of Lazarus, with full expectation of his resurrection, and with the firm assurance that God was glorified even by his death. Let us not, therefore, condemn what Christ allows. Jesus wept, but he did not sin. There was not even a particle of evil in any of the Redeemer's tears. There may have been salt, but there was no fault. Beloved, we can weep without sin. I don't suppose we have ever done so, but it is possible. It's not a sin to weep for those whom God has taken away from us, nor for those who are suffering. I will tell you why there was no sin in Christ's weeping. It was because He wept in His Father's presence. When He spoke in His sorrow, the first word was, Father. He said, Father, I thank you. John 11:41. If you can weep in such a way, that the entire time you feel God to be your Father, you can thank Him, and you know that you are in His presence, 
then your weeping is not blameworthy, but healthy. Let such floods flow on, for Jesus wept, and he said, Father, I thank you. Brethren, we sin when we either laugh or weep behind God's back. Absence from God is the element of sin. When you cannot smile or weep except by forgetting God and his law, then you are offending. But if you can get up to your great father's arms and bury your head in his chest, then you may sob away without restraint, for that which he allows is evidently no offense. Jesus wept, but he never complained. Jesus wept, but he never found fault with God's providence. Jesus wept sweetly in submission, not bitterly in rebellion. I think there is good instruction in this. May the Holy Spirit teach it to us. May the Lord write it on every weeper's heart. You, Hannah, a woman of a sorrowful spirit, did Eli accuse you? 1 Samuel 1 14. Come to Eli's master, the great high priest, for he will not blame you. He will tell you that you may weep, for he also wept. I must be brief with my fourth point. Jesus wept. In this he is our comforter. Let me speak to those who are of heavy heart. Jesus wept. In this is our honor. You weep, my friend, in good company, for Jesus wept. Let no one condemn you in this, for they will not only be blaming you, but they will be blaming Jesus also. Jesus wept. In this our sonship is vindicated. You ask, Can I be a child of God and yet go on weeping? Jesus was the well-beloved Son, and yet He wept. We could ask the question another way. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Hebrews 12, 7. What child did God ever have who did not weep? He had one son without sin, but he never had a son without sorrow. He had a son who never deserved a stroke of the rod, and yet against that son the sword was awakened. Mourner, you are one of the worshipful company of weepers, of whom Jesus is the worthy master. He is at the head of the clan of mourners. You can well wear the plaid with the black and red crosses upon it, for your leader wore the same. See now the real sympathy of Christ with his people, for there is comfort in this. His sympathy lies not only in words, or even wholly in deeds. It is more tender than these can be. Only his heart could express his tender sympathy, and then it was by tears tears that were brought up like gold from the ore bed of the heart, minted in the eyes, and then put in circulation as current coin of the merchant, each one bearing the king's image and superscription. Jesus is our fellow sufferer, and this should be our greatest comfort. If we had a high priest who didn't know what it was to suffer as we do, it would be a most unhappy thing for us. If we fled to him for refuge, and learned that he had never known any grief and sorrow, and so could not relate to us, it would be death to our broken hearts. I saw a young bird flying yesterday who thought he had a clear path, but sadly for him there was an invisible barrier. He flew into the glass and stunned himself, and I was sad when I saw him lying dead outside my window. 
If, in my grief, I fled to Jesus, and there was about him a secret inability to sympathize and an incapacity to admit me to his heart, then, even though that barrier might be as pure as crystal, I would dash myself against it and die in despair. A Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. That would be a grief I could not bear if he could not have fellowship with me and could not understand my suffering and sorrow. Beloved, think how bravely our Lord endured, for in this there is confidence. Tears did not drown the Saviour's hope in God. He lived, he triumphed, notwithstanding all his sorrow. Because he lives, we will live also. John 14, 19. He says, Take courage, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Though our hero had to weep in the fight, he was not defeated. He came, he wept, and he conquered. You and I share much in common with Jesus. We share the tears of his eyes, and we will share the diamonds of his crown. We wear the crown of thorns here, and we will wear the crown of glory hereafter. Let this comfort you, too, that even though he wept, he weeps no more. In this heaven is begun here below. Scripture Death no longer is master over him in any sense or degree. Romans 6 9. He is done weeping. It will be that way with us before long. How I love that promise there will no longer be any mourning or crying. Or pain. Revelation 21 4. Heaven is without a temple, for it is all devotion. It is without a hospital, for it is all health and love. No resident will say, I am sick. Isaiah 33 24. I look greatly forward to the no more weeping. It will come to us before long, for it has come to Jesus. The Lord God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21 4. We will soon have no cause for sorrow and no possibility of grief, for as He is, so we will be. Just as He is perfectly blessed, so we will be blessed in Him. Jesus wept, but His weeping is all over. Jesus wept, but His sorrow is now a thing of the past, and so will ours be before long. Fifthly and lastly, Jesus wept, and in this he is our example. We should weep, for Jesus wept. Jesus wept for others. I don't know that he ever wept for himself. His tears were sympathetic tears. He embodied that command, Weep with those who weep. Romans 12:15. He who can hold it all within the compass of his ribs has a narrow soul. A true soul, a Christly soul, lives in other men's souls and bodies as well as in its own. A perfectly Christly soul finds all the world too narrow for its abode, for it lives and loves. It lives by loving, and it loves because it lives. Think of other weepers and have pity upon those who are grieving. Today I want to touch your heartstrings and move you to pity the pains and agonies of the many who are now lying in our hospitals, and the even greater miseries of those who languish for lack of medicine, and care, 
because they cannot get into the hospitals, but have to wear themselves out in hopeless disease. How they must suffer who have had bad nursing and little food, and in the winter are afflicted with cold. You and I may never suffer as they do, but at least let us grieve on their behalf and stand ready to help them to the best of our ability. Our Lord is our example in another way, too. Let us learn from Him that our indignation against evil will best show itself in compassion for sinners. Ah, my dear friend, I heard you lecturing tremendously against drunkenness. I am glad to hear you do so. You cannot say anything too hard or too heavy about that degrading vice. But I ask you to end your denunciation by weeping over the poor drunkard. I heard you speak, my other friend, on behalf of the League of Purity, and you smote the monsters of lust and immorality with all your force. I wish more strength to your arm. But when you have finished, sit down and weep over such filthiness that should defile men and women who are your fellow creatures. Appeal to Congress, if you want, to make laws to stop sin, but Congress itself first needs correcting and purifying. A flood of tears before the thrice holy God will do far more than the greatest number of petitions to our politicians. Jesus wept, and his tears were mighty weapons against sin and death. You feel angry at the lazy, idle, loafing vagabonds whose very difficulties are produced by their own iniquity. I cannot condemn your virtuous wrath, but if you want to imitate Jesus in all things, please note that it is not written that Jesus thundered, but that Jesus wept. Let indignation have sympathy mixed with it. I don't like lightning without rain, nor indignation without tears. I know what you'll say about the lack of frugality among the poor, about the absence of sobriety, the lack of hard work, and so forth. Admit all this sorrowfully, rebuke it tenderly, and then weep. You will do more good to the offenders, more good to yourself, and more good to the best of causes if tears of compassion and sympathy moisten it all. You can, if you want, beat the dreadful drum and sound the trumpet of war, but the noise will deafen rather than soften. The voice of your weeping will be heard deep down in the soul, and it will work more wonders than thunders of denunciation. Lastly, when you have wept, imitate your Saviour and do something. If the eleventh chapter of John had finished with Jesus wept, it would have been a poor ending. If, after they had come to the grave, we had read, Jesus wept, and then went about his daily business, I would not have much comfort in the passage. If nothing had come of it except tears, it would have been a great decline from the usual ways of our blessed Lord. Tears! By themselves they are only salt water. A cup of them would not be worth much to anyone. But, beloved, Jesus wept, and then he commanded, Remove the stone. John 11:39. He cried, Lazarus, come forth. John 11:43. When Lazarus struggled out of the tomb, Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. John 11:44. Some of you are full of sympathy for the sick. But I hope that does not end in mere emotion. 
Do not let us say, We were moved to sympathize with the sick, but we didn't do much to help them. I would be ashamed to think that this would be so. If you cannot raise the dead, give something toward rolling away the stone that prevents the poor from getting medical help. If you cannot restore them to health, at least do something toward removing their sickness and trouble. Comfort them, help them, feed them, clothe them, pay their bills, find something to do. Brethren, in this way we can practically prove the truth of our sympathy. Give generously.